Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the Breast Center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer. And if you'd like to join the conversation, you could submit questions and comments to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. This week, it's a conversation about research into metastatic breast cancer focusing on epigenetic mechanisms with Dr. Chin Yan. Dr. Yan is Associate Professor of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Stephen Gore. So epigenetics, this is not something that the common public knows a lot about. It sounds like gobbledygook. Could you tell us what epigenetics uh, refers to? Oh, epigenetics, it's uh, a word um, outside of genetics. Basically, if you cannot explain something with genetics, then you can explain it with epigenetics. Uh, in some way, it's a study of heritable traits or, and gene expressions that do not involve changes of the underlying DNA sequences. So heritable traits. So is this passed from uh, generation to generation or a heritable trait from one cell to another? How does well, that Well, I would say both. Mm-hmm. In both occasions, you can see a generation uh, inheritance from generation to generation as well as from different cell fate. And one cell will carry the epigenetic trait and it can pass on to the daughter cells. That's also called epigenetic uh, phenomena. I see. But this doesn't have to do with mutations, is that right? Uh, this has nothing to do with mutations. You don't have to have uh, changes of the genetic material itself. Huh. So uh, can you give us an example of something that might be an epigenetic trait? So um, one of the examples um, you can think about, and I, I would like to give this example. So if you think about the caterpillar and the butterfly, they have the same genetic uh, materials, however, they look very different, as you can see. <laughs> yeah, so that's like magic, right? Isn't that just magic? Well, yes, yes, it, sure it is. <laughs> <laughs> so how is that epigenetic? How does the how do the epigenetics impact the the change or the metamorphosis from the caterpillar larva to the butterfly? So the epigenetics are um, will affect uh, a lot of gene expression changes, uh, and that will be reflected to the cell fate and uh, what kind of cell uh, you. You can see and what kind of uh, actually organism you will see um, when you have different epigenetic states. Got it. So you're telling me that the genome uh, is the same for the caterpillar and the butterfly, of course, uh, but by changing uh, this epigenetic uh, regulation of the genes, you go from having caterpillar genes to butterfly genes. Well, that's correct. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. No, I, I like that illusion too, and, and just what the audience doesn't know, the, the kind of private joke here in the studio is that uh, my research in leukemia has to do with epigenetics as well. Um, so we're, we're, playing, we're playing kind of the fool here, but that's because uh, I think it's important for uh, everyone to understand this complicated, rather complicated um, field. I also, uh, I don't know if this is true or not, but I was once at this uh, kind of a zoo thing in Florida, um, in Miami, and they have... Uh, uh, two animals that are bred between tigers and lions. One is a liger and one is a 
Tylon, uh-huh. I, I, depending on which one is the mother, uh-huh. and and um, and apparently how the, f- the the animal looks at the end is supposedly epigenetically determined. I guess in terms of uh, whether it's more lion genes or tiger genes that get activated or inactivated. I, I I didn't go to prove that, but that's what it said on the sign. I thought it was interesting that at a zoo they were talking about epigenetics now. Yeah, so I think that's actually one interesting, um, um, interesting observation. And so, um, a lot of genes can be determined by whether this is from the father or the mother. This is part of the epigenetic mechanism. So, some of the genes are will be expressed from if it's inherited from the mother, and some of the genes will be expressed when it's inherited from the father. So, in some cases, uh, this is called imprinting, uh, and uh, this has many. Uh, fundamental um, contribution to what we see uh, in, uh, in everyday life, I would say. <laughs> in terms of whether we have our father's gene expressed or our mother's gene expressed. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, interesting. So what does any of this have to do with breast cancer? So uh, actually this has to do with many different cancer types, not only breast cancer. Um, um, what we are most interested in our lab is to understand what epigenetic aberration will cause cancer and uh, how to find uh, ways to treat those um, uh, epigenetic aberrations. So one of the um, things we study is actually tumor metastasis. And uh, if you think about the metastasis, and the tumor cells have to get out from the primary organ to the distal organ. And if you compare the genetic information from the, um, the, the breast versus the distal organs, and you actually do not see a lot of changes, genetic mutations of um, um, those cells. Um, so uh, what we form the hypothesis is that um, those tumor cells will have to undergo a lot of gene expression changes caused by epigenetic state switches. So let, let me just get this straight before you go on. So what you're saying is that you can sample a primary tumor that starts in a breast, and you can uh, study the metastasis that arises from that tumor, either in the liver or the bone or wherever it is, and that the DNA, the genes, are fundamentally the same, but the reason you're speculating they're different uh, is because obviously the cells have behaved differently. One has stayed in the breast and one has set up shop um, in the distant organ, right? And maybe that one's more aggressive That's what, so that they act differently? Well, not only that, but also uh, there are many, st- actually metastasis is a, a multi-stage process. The cells have to change themselves along the way. They have to get out of the uh, the breast and then get into circulation, not only survive there, but they need also to get out of the circulation to the distal organs. And during this process, they have these uh, changes of the phenotype, uh, again, back to more like tumor-like, uh, epithelial-like uh, phenotype when they get into the distal organ. They have to not only get out of there, but they also have to adapt to those foreign environment to survive there. It's not easy for them to, um, to adopt those changes. Yeah, well, it's not as pretty as a butterfly, is it? <laughs> it is not. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your hypothesis was that in order to uh, to break away, to survive in the bloodstream or the lymphatic system, and uh, get to this environment that you know might seem hostile, like the liver, and adapt to it, make it a nice, happy home for a tumor. That these this has been driven by 
changes in gene expressions um, that have been influenced by these epigenetic changes. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and, and were you right? Did you find any uh, such epigenetic changes? So we uh, we did, and uh, recently actually we uh, we studied actually with this hypothesis, and then we studied with the patient material, and we used the integrated uh, computational analysis. We actually identified a potential driver of breast cancer metastasis. What is an integrated computational analysis? So we use integrated uh, uh, analysis. Basically, we um, use different algorithms uh, to uh, to identify what genes and are associated with the instance of metastasis. To put it that simply. But uh, it requires a lot of computational power to mine through the, a lot of uh, patient uh, samples to arrive at uh, this kind of uh, conclusion. So, so just walk us through uh, what is involved. So you've got this. Uh, are you comparing the primary tumor to the, to the metastasis tumor? Or are you, just, are you looking for common themes between different patients' primary tumors? Actually, in this uh, initial study, we uh, focus on the primary tumors that will metastasize and those will not metastasize. So we are comparing the different traits between those primary tumors. We were able to identify the ones that are correlated with the instance of metastasis. Because uh, because this is archival tissue and you, those know, are, yeah. and you know what's happened to the patient from reading the charts or whatever. Yeah, that's true. If breast cancer takes a long time, we need to get to those archival tissue. Got <laughs> it. Yeah. So that's why if you're a patient and you're approached by doctors about donating your tissue for future research. This is so important. That's how we we learn this stuff. So, okay, so you've got all these different uh, tumors, and you know that some people uh, developed eventually metastasis, unfortunately, some did not. And what did you do with the tissue? You sequenced the DNA? Um, so in this case, we just uh, look at the expression of many of the genes that are involved. Actually, many of them are involved in uh, metastasis pro- progression. Okay. So uh, we we can look at how uh, those genes are changing. And uh, in this case, actually, we focus on epigenetic regulators, which are the regulator of the epigenetic states. Uh, well, you're getting too fast for me now. So uh, I'm still trying to get the integrated part. So you, you're looking at gene expression across a lot of genes. Is that is that right? Yeah, yes. Okay. And how many genes do you look at in a particular tissue? So for those, we can look at all the genes. But in this case, we just focused on the ones we uh, are interested in, meaning the regulators of the epigenetic states. Okay, so how many genes is that? So that's about 300 genes. Wow. So you're looking at this set of 300 genes that you think are going to dictate epigenetic changes, and you look at this across a bunch of tumors, right? Yeah. And how many tumors are involved? This was 2,000. 2,000 tumors, 300 genes each, right? Yes, that's true. Okay, so that's where you get into this integration thing, because I guess if you're doing this on a calculator or on a spreadsheet, it's going to get kind of tedious. Well, that's kind of difficult to do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you feed all this information, 300 genes, 2,000 tumors, into, uh, you know, Cal the computer. And and what does Cal do? What does the computer do? Well, we can look at the uh, separate the patients uh, based on the uh, uh, the post 
propensity to metastasize. So you're going to teach the computer which ones are the ones that metastasized? Yes, that's true. So is that, that's something called a supervised analysis, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, you give it the information that here's the ones that had metastasis eventually and here's the ones that didn't? Yes, that's correct. Do you also tell it sort of one which ones had what kind of metastasis, like which ones went to bone and... Yeah, we will also do that. So there are, um, well, for breast cancer, uh, there are the major side of metastasis uh, are brain, bone, and lung, and the liver. So those are the um, major categories. We we also classify those uh, based on the side of metastasis. Okay, not just lymph node. Not just lymph node. Right. Okay. So uh, so you got Cal the computer. It's got all the information <laughs> on the three hundred genes. I'm just a really simple person, so you got to take me slow. Uh, you got 300 genes, 2,000 tumors. Who metastasized eventually and who didn't? And, and Cal comes up with what? What does Cal tell you at the end? Well, they'll give, at the end, they'll give me a curve and showing whether uh, the expression of our particular genes will be able to stratify the patients uh, based on their um, ability, to, well, based on whether they will metastasize or not. Okay. And, and did you find such genes? Yeah, we did find uh, several genes that are very interesting, and we um, actually published one of those uh, w- such such study. Got it. So, um, so in the genes, first of all, how many genes? How many such genes uh, seemed to be selected by Cal the computer? So um, we actually used the multiple um, um, analysis, and at the end, we narrowed it down to about 10 genes. 10 genes. Yeah. And are these 10 genes up in all of the uh, people who are going to metastasize, or actually different not. sets? Of oh, only, only, only a subset of 10. the patients, yeah. Got it. And do some of them tend to go with each other, like A, B, and C go together, and D, E, and F go together, or it's a, just a uh, some of them grab do- bag? Some of them do go together, but some of them do not. So some of them have a strong association, but some of them do not. Okie doke. Well, this is uh, this is complicated, but so very interesting. Um, and uh, we're definitely going to follow up on what happened to your 10 genes and your 2,000 patients uh, after the break. But right now, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about epigenetics in breast cancer with Dr. Chen Yan. There are over 13 million cancer survivors in the United States and over 100,000 here in Connecticut. Completing treatment is an exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. Following treatment, cancer survivors can face several long-term side effects of cancer, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources for cancer survivors are available at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers to help keep cancer survivors focused on healthy living. The Survivorship Clinic at Yale Cancer Center focuses on providing guidance and direction to empower survivors to maximize their health, quality of life, and longevity. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers. This is Dr. Stephen Gore, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Chin Yan. We are discussing research involving uh, the regulation of breast cancer behavior based on what's called epigenetics. Uh, Chen, before the break, uh, we were talking about your work, which was trying to understand uh, whether, and tell me if I'm wrong, whether the 
Uh, there's a difference in expression of genes which which impact. Um, epigenetic changes or the epigenome in patients uh, with primary breast cancer who are going to eventually metastasize, right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And uh, and you told me that you studied 2,000 tumors, which is huge, seems huge to me, and, uh, and something like 300 genes, which might influence epigenetics in each tumor, and uh, and, the, and Calva computer uh, picked 10 that seemed to be Higher regulation is that they're they're high more expressed in they're more expressed in the patient tumors that will metastasize. Okay, so um, so what do we do with that next? Uh, I know sometimes in this kind of study you have to validate um, you know this gene set in a in a whole separate database. Um, to make sure it wasn't just kind of a statistical artifact, is is that something you do or? Yeah, we we did that, and we uh, we used a separate cohort of patients and uh, validated our analysis. And uh, more moreover, we used uh, more uh, traditional uh, research lab based uh, studies to validate the function using cell based assay and uh, using mouse models. Okay, so let's take that one at a time. So you you looked at different tumors besides the two thousand. Yeah, yes, yeah, sure. How many more? That's uh, about 300 patients. 300 extra. Yeah, yeah. Right. And they also seem to have this pattern, the ones that metastasize. Yeah, very similar. Very similar. Okay. And then you say you validated it in, in classic cell models. What does that mean? So um, in, in, uh, in, in research, uh, we usually uh, use some uh, cancer cell lines, in this case breast cancer cell lines, right. to study uh, the uh, ability of those breast cancer associated genes in breast cancer progression. Okay. So uh, so you've got your breast cancer cell line, and um, I think there's one called MCF7, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, there was one with the cell lines, yeah. That's yeah. just one of the ones I know. Uh, and uh, and you've got these genes. Uh, some of these 10 genes are, are you show that they're also upregulated? They're the upregulated in um, the more aggressive cell lines okay. also. And then, uh, then do you knock the expression of that gene down to see what happens? Or what yes, do you do? Uh, that's what we did actually. Uh, we uh, basically knocked down um, the expression, basically decreasing the expression of those genes in the aggressive breast cancer cell lines. And what uh, do they do? So, and we showed that those breast cancer cells uh, express much lower, uh, have much lower expression of the genes related to metastasis. Hmm. And so meaning that they control this gene expression program uh, that's involved in metastasis. And at the same time, when we look at those cells, and they have decreased ability to invade and um, migrate. So are you watching them move around the dish? How do yeah, we, we look at them moving through the dish, actually moving through the membrane on the dish. <laughs> I think the audience might enjoy hearing about this. This is one of those things where you've got two different containers connected by a, a membrane. Yeah, is that's, that right? that's correct. And you've got the cells on one side? The cells on the one side, and then we have some attractant on that. We attract those cells down there. Okay. And the uh, the... Uh, metastatic breast cancer cells like to likes to move down there, and uh, if we take out of this gene, actually they don't. They don't move, want to move down. They there. don't they, move down. They want to stay at the home base. <laughs> yeah, that's correct. That's so cool. That's that's called a matrigel, right? Yeah, that's the matrigel uh, membrane. Yeah. yeah, very cool. 
Uh, so you found that when uh, when you knocked down some of these epigenetic regulators, the cells no longer invaded through the matrigel, which yeah. is your model for the metastasis. Okay, great. And then you said you've got some mouse models. What's that about? So we actually use two different kind of mouse models. So one of the mouse models we use is that we use those human cells, human breast cancer cells that I mentioned earlier, the MDA, MB231 cells. So we... This is a cell line. This is the cell line. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is human cell derived from human patients. Right. So, so some of our readers have probably read the book about Henrietta Lacks and how she gave her cancer gave rise to HeLa cells. This is one of the great bestsellers a couple years ago. Yeah, that's the great what. story at Johns Hopkins. So this is one of the cell lines that the scientists have made from from tumors from patients with breast cancer. Right, the, yeah, they were correct. originally came from a patient, yeah. and now they live in a test tube. Yeah, that's correct. Got, gotcha. So you've got your your aggressive cell line, and you give this to you. You put this into mice. I, we inject those um, into the mice and uh, see uh, how they can grow up in the distal organs. In this case, it's the non. Do you inject the uh, cells into the breast, or do you inject them into the blood? Uh, in this one, we inject into the blood. It's still through the tail vein. Tail vein. Uh huh. Yes. And it circulates around, and the cells set up shop to make tumors. Yeah, then we'll set up the shop in the lung and make tumors there. (laughs) Okay, gotcha. Uh, So so you got your cells, you've got your mice, and you got this model where you establish metastases in these unfortunate animals. And so how do you manipulate? How do you manipulate your epigenetic genes? So uh, what we did is that we uh, changed the expression of those genes in those cell lines before we inject into the the mice. And can you turn them off permanently? We can turn them. Yeah, we can turn off permanently. We can turn them transiently too. We can do both. Okay, so. Uh, so what are you doing? You're doing both? You're doing the permanent and the transient? So uh, in the previous published study, we did the permanent uh, turn off. Okay. And then right now we're doing the transient turn off experiments right now. Okay, cool. So uh, so you turn off the these genes permanently, and then you inject them back, back into the into the a separate set of mice, right? Yeah, yeah. And is there less fewer metastases? There are much less metastases. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. So what will you do when you can transiently turn them on and off? So we we can uh, use a special uh, system where we can uh, put a drug into uh, the the food of the mice, and then they will induce the expression or uh, induce the, in this case, it's the SHRNA that can downregulate the expression of those genes. So you do that, like let the let the metastases be set up and then turn off those genes? Is yeah, that- so we are trying to see whether this have treatment potential. That's, that's correct. Gotcha. And um, you don't have any data to share with us about that. We yet. don't. We don't have data on, on that yet. Okay. Well, that sounds that sounds super exciting. Do you know whether this kind of mechanism is um, uh, operating in other cancers that metastasize as well? Have you had a chance to look at any other um, cancers that metastasize? Yes. Uh, actually, we look at this uh, in non-cancer. It has similar phenotype, and uh, in addition, uh, and we showed that the the activity of this enzyme is actually very important for metast for the uh, non-cancer cells to metastasize. Okay, and and that's that's one particular enzyme you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, one of the particular epigenetic regulator called uh, RBP2 or retinoblastoma binding protein two. Okay, and and what does that do? It's a histone demesonase. Uh, it can remove those methyl groups from the histones, and the histones are those proteins that are next to the DNA, and uh, any changes on those 
protein will have fundamental changes over the gene expression. Got it. So, uh, so just for the audience, the histones are uh, are proteins, uh, as Dr. Yan explained, that uh, they come in groups of eight, right? Eight yeah. different ones, and the DNA wraps around the uh, nucleosome. The, yeah. the, the, the eight histones makes a nucleosome, right? And the DNA wraps around it two and a half times, and it looks like little beads on a string, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And then depending on how the histone proteins are modified, the DNA is stuck to it more tightly or more loosely. Yeah, yeah, that's... And when, yeah, it's really, when it's really tight, the gene is turned off, right? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so got it. So your RBP2 protein takes, uh, modifies these histone tails by taking away methyl groups. By taking away, yeah, that's, that's correct. And it, does that uh, make the gene more likely to be um, um, uh, activated or less likely? Uh, less likely to be activated. Turns the gene off. Turns the genes off, yeah. So when you've got this RBP2 protein, uh, it turns genes expression off. Yeah, yeah. And we can, uh, so if we inhibit its activity, we can activate uh, these targeted genes. Got it. And you're saying that, that this particular protein is involved in the metastasis. It's, yeah, this in both in breast cancer and in non-cancer, two of the major cancer types that you, you always hear. So you, you'd like to turn it off? Yeah. You want well, to turn this gene off? Yeah, we want to turn the genes with the small molecule inhibitors. Actually, we have done some experiments, and uh, we have identified uh, the need compound of uh, those inhibitors. Now, wait a minute. So where do you go ahead and like find some compounds to test against your RBP2 protein? If nobody knows... You know, if there's any particular drugs? Do you invent the Do you invent the chemicals, or do you screen chemicals? What do you do? So we did uh, both. We, we we did the screening initially, but right now we are also uh, making new compounds and to see whether the newer compounds can uh, have better uh, if, uh, effect on inhibition of this enzyme. Hmm. So this was done actually uh, initially with the Yale Center for Molecular Discovery, and uh, we set up an, an assay that we can uh, analyze the activity of this enzyme mm-hmm. biochemically, and uh, we can run it through thousands, ten thousand compounds, and uh, we can identify uh, a, several compounds that have some ability to inhibit the, this enzyme. But where do you get these compounds from? You can't go to the shop, right, and order them, right? We can, Walgreens. Yeah. <laughs> we can, we can get it from some uh, commercial library, and we can get it from um, um, National Cancer Institute, and we actually Yale has a, um, a compound library too. So these are like resources of of all sorts of uh, chemicals. Uh, that are just really available for screening. Yeah, that's for screening. But but later on, and right now, actually, this project is recently supported by this NCI Experimental Therapeutics Program, uh, which uh, is uh, has the ability to translate the, our findings all the way to the clinic. And actually, they have eighteen phase two and phase three clinical trials undergoing right now. So what uh, we are doing over there is to uh, not only screen more, more uh, bigger library, but also we are designing new molecules to target this enzyme using the information we know. Huh. So how how do you do that? So are you are you working with a lead compound that you've already identified, and are you modifying it, or are you actually looking at the structure of the protein? And inventing something geometrically that looks right. Yeah, we are doing both actually. Uh, so <laughs> and we we have a set of uh, uh, prior compounds that we know, and we are modifying those compounds and to see whether it can inhibit uh, the uh, enzymes better. And uh, based on those study, actually, we uh, generate a structure of the, this enzyme. We are docking different kinds of compounds 
on this enzyme to see whether we can find even better or more selective compounds. And when you say docking, you're t- this is done on the computer, right? This is all supercomputer. This is the call again. <laughs> Got it. So Cal, Cal, this is Cal's brother, right? Yeah. yeah. So it so it actually has a picture of what the protein looks like, right? Yes. And three dimensions, and it takes these compounds and it tries. When you say docking, it's like trying to get a, a lock in a key, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. And we are we try to to just rotate the the, the molecules and try to fit different kind of molecules and to see which one would uh, fit the best. Got it. So. What about all those other lonely genes, those other nine genes you found? Are you just going to leave them alone? or No, no. We are also looking at the other ones. We are, we are running through the similar pipeline, and we're trying to uh, go through them one by one, I would say. Wow. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> yes, that's true. Yeah, it keeps your computers busy as well as your postdoctoral fellows. Yeah, postdoctoral and the graduate students. And graduate students. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, well, interesting. Now, what about the tumors once they've metastasized? Do they continue to express this uh, RBP2 or any of these other um, genes, or do they get turned off once they've done their job? Actually, in this case, they still express RBP2, um, and, but for some other ones, they could be turned off, and because metastasis is uh, such a complicated process, in certain uh, cases, some of the genes just have to be turned on for one stage. They don't need and actually, the cancer cells will not need it for the next stage. Mm-hmm. So it could be. So this is actually very important in terms of therapeutics because we want to hit them at the right time. Yeah. So I guess theoretically, uh, you might give uh, if there was a gene that was important uh, early in the process that established metastases, you might give the one drug. Uh, but then once there were metastases, you would metastases, you would need a different drug. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, and uh, so far, uh, anything happening promising in your mice? Are you getting rid of some of those metastases? Uh, we uh, uh, t- actually we just got some compound actually from a company, and we're trying to test whether they can um, suppress metastases in our mouse model. Okay, cool. And uh, have you come up with any uh, names for your new drug, like um, oh? Chinomycin or something like this. <laughs> we, we don't have this fancy name. So, <laughs> so for the initial compound, we just name it either YU, J1, J2, J3. YU means Yale University. J yeah. means... <laughs> you, you need to get some marketing people involved. You're going to be famous. Yeah, we need to do that for sure. Dr. Chin Yan is Associate Professor of Pathology at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.